Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons, and for the beginning of our third season here of History and Film, we're going to try to do something a little bit different, and I have a co-host today, Logan Denning, who is currently in Afghanistan, which is kind of a neat use of modern technology that he can be my co-host halfway around the world. Logan, how's it going? Good, Rich. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Okay, so we're going to kick off today by talking about time after time for our Halloween episode, because it has to do with Jack the Ripper. This is a movie I had not even heard of until I was kind of researching Jack the Ripper movies, because he was about the same, about the right time period that we were looking for. And Logan actually beat me to watching it and said it was pretty nuts. And I just watched it today. And I have to agree, Logan, this movie was actually pretty darn cool. <laughs> what are your general thoughts about it as like a movie in general? So I, I also had never heard of this movie before, but yeah, I mean the the first word that came to mind when I started watching it was uh, bonkers. Yes, uh, <laughs> in a, in, but in a in an awesome way. Like it's not like yeah. an Oscar movie, but like I was just like grinning the whole time. Like this is freaking ridiculous. It, yes. <laughs> but yeah. not not in like a it sucks way in a you gotta be kidding me way this is insane i'm having a lot exactly. of fun at how ridiculous <laughs> this movie is so i'm gonna do the normal thing and recap it even though obviously logan you already know this is kind of more for for the listener and normally i'm not too worried about spoiler alerts but this one is a little bit different so we did we're doing this as a bonus episode because this obviously is not about a historical event but it does talk about two historical figures that are perfectly fitting into our timeline here right at the turn of the 19th century into the 20th century so we're actually going back a little bit i think we left off with life of Emil zola that ended up in the 1890s, early 1900s, and this is actually starts in 1893 in London, and we meet author H.G. Wells, and Logan, I don't know if you've seen or uh, any version of The Time Machine or read The Time Machine, but this is basically straight out of his novel, except they kind of made him the protagonist. Are you familiar with The Time Machine? Uh, I'm familiar with its existence. Uh, I don't think I've, <laughs> I never read it, um, and I don't think I ever saw the movie. Okay. Uh, but like, I, I, I mean, I know that there is a property called the time machine by hg wells but that's about it there's actually uh i actually watched it growing up there's a, there's a there's a version from 1960 that i would recommend over the more recent one that i believe has this guy pierce i think is is the lead in it but the, the 1960 version i'm gonna say it holds up <laughs> uh just because i mean it was from 1960 and i was watching it you know growing up 80s and 90s and enjoyed it then i watched it semi-recently it kind of holds up anyway i recommend that just as a look at a good version of an hg wells movie that is related to this in the sense that he basically tells his friends he has a time machine and he's too scared to use it and he kind of has these ideas that the future is going to be this utopia and he's excited but also scared to use it so, but concurrently, and I had to look this up, they, they were roughly contemporary. So the biggest thing is, so we, we meet H.G. Wells, but this is also after, I guess, after the cold open, uh, where we see Jack the Ripper murder a prostitute, as he was wont to do, right? Yes. So now, jumping ahead to a little bit of a historical discussion, Jack the Ripper 
is an unsolved case. They never figured out who he actually was. So, and, and we can talk about that more at the end. But the conceit of the movie is that Scott in the Yard is going to H.G. Wells' house to kind of warn him that he's in the neighborhood. And, oh my gosh, they discover, like, the bag of the murder weapon there. And it turns out that Jack the Ripper is one of H.G. Wells' friends. Dun-dun-dun! And... To escape Scott in the Yard, he steals the time machine and travels to the present. But, of course, the present is 1979 because <laughs> this movie's 40 years old. <laughs> I, I love it so much. Which, like, what an insane premise to a movie. <laughs> I love it. I actually... So we, we watched this in the office here, like me and two or three other guys. You convinced them to watch it? <laughs> and, yeah, and I was, like, I was like, hey, yeah, you know, I, I'm, you know, let's, let's watch this movie. You know, it's called Time After Time. And they're like, what's it about? And I was like, well... H.G. Wells chases Jack the Ripper to 1979 in a time machine uh, to try and stop him from murdering people in San Francisco. And they're like, that sounds insane. I'm like, it probably will be. Let's find out. And it does not disappoint. <laughs> so, yes. It, 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 but also, I think what, why it does, why, why it works, and ultimately I think it holds up, is it never takes itself too seriously. But with also yes, without being a right. comedy. It's not a comedy. But it kind of, but it's definitely got some comedic elements, especially when he meets uh, Mary Steenburgen, who is awesome also, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's basically it. It's so it's, I mean, as far as the setup goes, it's just H.G. Wells, like Logan kind of said. So they go to San Francisco, and they kind of, this confused me at first because I thought the time machine stayed put, but the idea was it's basically just going around the earth. It's basically rotating the days for you on fast forward. So he's eight hours off, which puts him in the San Francisco time zone. Is kind of how he ended up in San Francisco. Basically just because they wanted to set the movie in San Francisco. There's no other reason to be in San Francisco. I thought that the movie was in San Francisco because in 1979, the time machine was in that museum. It was an H.G. Wells exhibit. Like they had had it as like up from his house. (sighs) Okay, that I okay. No, I'm 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 legit confused on that because so yeah, he leaves from London, and he's confused why he's not in London. He's even asking if why he's in San Francisco. And it, when when he discovers he's in San Francisco, he kind of looks at his watch and he says, "Oh, that's right, I'm eight hours off." Right. But oh, you're oh you're saying eight it's hours. both. You're I'm okay. It's, I guess it's a chicken and egg thing. You're saying he's eight hours off because the time machine was moved to San Francisco. Yes. Okay, I was kind of confused yeah. by that. They said that, they said it was discovered by some workers two years previously to the H.G. Wells Museum, but I guess my okay, my thought there too is oh, I'm so confused. So, <laughs> so he arrives in San Francisco in the H.G. Wells Museum in the time machine. So you're saying he the time machine he's traveling within it, but yet it stays. It's it's it exists. So it doesn't disappear, but it disappeared from his place in London. It disappeared when. Uh, I want to say Moriarty. It disappears when Ripper takes it from London. So you're saying, though, before he arrived in San Francisco, it was already sitting there waiting for his arrival? So this was a whole thing. They had the – they had it was like two separate keys, right, that they right. both had to be in. One one meant that if it was in – because that's why it came back the first time. Right. Remember, because Jack the Ripper had this key. So he went in the time machine, but the time machine automatically had this setting where it came back. Okay. Because Jack the Ripper didn't have the right key. Right. And so, but then when H.G. Wells went to the future, he had that key in it so that it stayed in the future. Before he got there? No, at the same time. But I'm saying the people, so, in, the, the people in the museum seconds before he arrived, what did they see? Well, I don't think they saw, I don't think they saw like a flash of light or anything. I think it was just like, they just kind of turned around and there's this guy sitting in the time machine. But the time machine was already this... there. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
I guess. <laughs> let's uh, let's not dwell on that. Again, we're trying to keep this uh, rel- relatively yeah. short. Um, <laughs> moving on. So basically, he's got to find. I keep wanting, to, man. I keep wanting to say Moriarty, just because it seems like a Holmes and Moriarty, and of course, he ends up using Sherlock Holmes as an alias, not realizing that's the worst alias ever. Because yes. Sherlock Holmes is a more known name than H.G. Wells. But right. So he's looking for Jack the Ripper, who again, historically, don't actually know who it is, but uh, they basically say in the movie here, it's a doctor who kind of had some. Uh, anatomical knowledge to make his murders that much more gruesome which does kind of tie in to some actual theories i looked up yeah anyway so he's not sure how to find him and and i and i didn't really follow this exactly either so basically he has he has some uh london currency english currency that he needs to exchange so he can buy things in america and he assumes well surely this must be what the first thing jack thripper did too so the way he tracks him down is through currency exchange which is also just silly saying it out loud and he correctly assumes that. He correctly assumes that not only was the first thing that he would do is change his money, but also that he would go to the exact specific bank. Well, it took him a few tries before he found the Bank of London in San Francisco. Well, that's, that's true. But yeah. yes, that was like his, oh, of course, he'll go to the Bank of London. <laughs> and yes, he's right. And then he happens to, yes, find the teller at the right bank who does remember the odd British guy from just the day before or however much earlier, earlier that day, earlier that same day. And then this gets us to our whole basically not even subplot. It almost becomes like the new main plot is so the bank teller is played by a young Mary Steen version who was super cute here. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything uh, this long from this long ago. And. She's, like, immediately smitten with H.G. Wells, <laughs> even though he uh, doesn't look particularly dapper, I didn't think. No, I mean, it's it's uh, it's Malcolm McDowell. Who's well, like, right. For one, it's Malcolm I mean, McDowell, who's not no, hey, hey, you know, he's not an no, ugly guy, but he's not known right. for his looks. It's a, he's not, like... You know, it's not like Chris Hemsworth, where you're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, you know, no, right? He's he's like, darn near it, he's darn he near a step fine. away from being the uh, uh, Steve Buscemi of his day, <laughs> honestly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little better looking, better looking than that. Anyway, but Mary Steen Virgin is just in love with him, and I should say her character's name is uh, Amy Robbins. And anyway, so she does remember, and she says that she suggested that this guy he's looking for go to the Hyatt Regency Hotel. And of course, within like two minutes of movie time, uh, H.G. Wells goes to the Hyatt Regency and is knocking on <laughs> it is knocking on Jack the Ripper's door. I'm like, we're like 15 minutes into this movie, and he just found him. Uh, where are we going to go from here? But so... Jack the Ripper wants to return back to their own time, I guess. I don't know. He keeps changing his plans throughout. But is this where he talks to him about the future, or is that later? Uh, it's it's in the hotel. Yes. Because he, so, uh, yes. he shows him the TV. Yes. Why don't you explain that real quick, what I'm talking about, the whole idea of utopia that H.G. Wells is so, hoping for. Yeah, so basically, H.G. Wells goes to the hotel to try and convince Jack the Ripper to come back to 1893 with him in the time machine, and... Uh, I don't remember exactly how they got on the on the topic, but basically Jack the Ripper says, you know, oh, well, you you thought that the future was going to be this utopia. Um, you know, there's going to be no more wars, you know, basically equal rights uh, for everybody. And then he turns on the TV and shows him actually that's not the case. You know, the, the world is still a horribly violent place and in his mind, an even more violent place. And he's like, no, this is this is where I belong. And I think he says something about, you know, oh, in, in 1893, like I was a freak and now I'm the norm, which 
I don't know. I don't entirely agree with. I don't think everyone was, uh, you know, prostitute murdering and dismembering psychopaths in the 70s, but. Right. I think it was less than 40% of the population was prostitute, prostitute murderers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the exact quote he says is 90 years ago, I was a freak. Today, I'm an amateur. That's what it was. Yeah. But yeah, so Jack the Ripper is basically like, yeah, uh, screw you. This is the world I belong in. Although I guess he wants the time machine key to stay here. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's like, why does that even matter? Just just kill H.G. Wells and stay in the stay in the seventies if that's where you want to be. But exactly. anyway, so the so he's he's fighting him for the key, and anyway, uh, the maid walks in and kind of breaks up the fight. So Jack the Ripper runs off, but I think H.G. Wells still has the key. So he runs out after him to try to get him, and Jack the Ripper's hit by a car. And H.G. Wells tries to go to the hospital to just keep dealing with him, and he can't find him, but a nurse makes him think that Jack the Ripper died of internal bleeding because she thinks she says that happened to someone who fits the description. So we, or, well, we don't, because no, the number one rule is no corpse, no death. But H.G. Wells believes, oh, I guess... Jack the Ripper is dead. So how does he end up back then with the bank teller, with Amy? Uh, he just goes back to the bank. For reasons? <laughs> because he, well, I think it's because he, like, wanted to ask her out. If if you remember, he just goes back to the bank and he's, like, standing outside and she sees him and then she goes outside and asks him out. Right. She was definitely way more proactive. And we'll keep, I got a, yeah. great, a great line for that <laughs> but, uh, coming up. Yeah, so basically... I almost was kind of confused. Like for a little bit, I was like, "Is this movie so crazy that it actually did kill Jack the Ripper off screen, and now it's just going to be a romantic comedy going forward?" Like, and it was just the weirdest meet cute of all time. Which honestly, at that point in the movie, I mean, I was all for it. Scene, I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Flip a coin," honestly. Like, yeah, let's like, do it. Is, let's is do dead? it. No idea. This is so bizarre. <laughs> let's let's just go with it. He's dead. <laughs> Mission yeah. accomplished. But so basically, they go on their, like their first their first date. They're hanging out. They're they get along great. And I did make a note. So she, I know she's a little more than the big teller because it, it sounds like she had to earn her spot with the foreign currency thing. But doesn't it look like they went to like the nicest restaurant in San Francisco. And, and how could she afford that? Oh, I have no idea. I don't. Know. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if San Francisco was expensive in 1979, like relative to the right. rest of the country as right. it is today. But it couldn't have been. Much Cheap different. Still, right, in 1979 right. wasn't that long ago. But it's, yeah, it's like a revolving, like a spinning restaurant, like on top of a tower or something that they go to. Right, because she wanted a good view for sort of romantic. And, and hey, she was just trying to, I guess, really impress him. She's just really into this odd looking British dude who's yeah. really weird and makes no sense. <laughs> she just decided he's cute. <laughs> so. Yeah, they run across a newspaper, so they don't see it. We see them as the viewer. They walk by a newspaper stand, and the headline is basically prostitute murdered. We're like, oh, no, he uh, Jack the Ripper's not dead. He's now killing prostitutes in San Francisco. Oh, no. Yeah. And so he goes back to Amy's place for yet another meal. Oh, they went to a movie in between, and that was kind of funny because he, like, ducks and covers when they're shooting guns on the movie and basically and she just like took off the whole second half of the day of work and is just hanging out they're just hanging out which is fine go back to her place make dinner and she's uh very forward and basically what she even says like if you don't if you don't take me in your arms right now i'm gonna scream or something like that yeah and then of course he's then this upstanding you know late 19th century british gentleman so he's like well you know i don't want to compromise you or or anything so you know if you know we, we don't need to continue and she's like 
uh, or I have it written down here. He's like, I'm not forcing you to do anything. And she says, forcing me? My God, Herbert, I'm practically raping you. Oh, my God, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm like, I don't think that line holds up really well. But, man, that was, uh, I laughed out loud oh, on yeah. that one. I laughed out loud. <laughs> Talk about a line you can put in a movie from 1979, but not from 2019. <laughs> well, it, well in, in general. So, remember, PG-13 didn't exist at this time. This movie's PG. Right. And the, the the language is, I mean, I don't think they say the F word necessarily, but the language and the innuendo is pretty high. And it almost just seems incongruous with the rest of the movie. Like, it almost just, like, the tone of the movie doesn't seem to fit in with kind of the uh, sexual suggestiveness in the language. But it, but it all works. Anyway, so the next morning, <laughs> again, because it's kind of a romantic comedy now, on the radio, he hears about... Uh, a prostitute murder and they say it's the second and that the method of murder was very similar and so they think there could be a connection and he's like oh crap i didn't see the body so this must still be jack the ripper on the loose i gotta find him and okay so but he's sorry he's trying to tell everything to amy and i get a little confused here too so she of course doesn't believe him and he right. convinces her to go to the museum with him so he can prove himself because he did tell her the day before, if I told you the truth of everything and why I'm here, you wouldn't believe me. And she just kind of cutely says, yes, I would. And so right. now that he's told her and she doesn't believe him, he th- kind of throws that back in her face. And she's like, fine, I'll give you a chance to explain yourself because I did say that. So they go back to the museum and they get in the time machine and she's just basically rolling her eyes the whole time. They're in it for like a second. He's like, we're now three days in the future. And I'm like, yeah. this is the worst possible way to prove anything. But it does work because they get out of the machine and she sees the three days from then paper on the counter that says, I was kind of, I was a little confused at first too, but it says her death, right? In the paper? Yeah, it says that she was murdered. Yeah. Right. And then I missed, when did they go back to three days earlier? I didn't see that. Did, they, did I miss that? Because they did, right? I don't remember. I think it happened off screen. <laughs> gotcha. So that was a little confusing, too. They didn't stay three days in the future. They then took that paper and went back to when they had left, which, again, I think, yeah, it must have happened off screen or something because the movie didn't really seem to explain that. And yeah. is I'm trying to think, when did she convince him to go to the cops? Is this about when she convinced him to go to the cops? Yes, I think it, it is. But, yeah, so she's convinced yeah. him to go to the police. So they know Amy's supposed to be murdered on Friday, and then there's another murder that's happening right about you know, the day they're back, you know, the two or three days before. And so she convinces him to go to the police. They, of course, don't believe him because he says his name is Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) This is so ridiculous, Logan. (laughs) I don't understand why he didn't just tell people his name was Herbert Wells. Like, no one's going to know who Herbert Wells is. No one's going to think. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Even when he later, even when he tells Amy, I'm Herbert Oh, he says, he says, my name is not Herbert Wells. My name is Herbert George Wells. And she's like, yeah, that's the same name. Yeah. (laughs) And then H.G. Wells. And then, yeah, anyway, she doesn't believe. Anyway, so the cops, they're kind of intrigued. They do take down her address as the place he's staying at in case they need to be in touch with him. They don't try to commit him or anything, but they basically are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. But then as they're chasing down Jack the Ripper to the spot of that murder because it was in the paper. They're following him to the park at like 3 a.m. He calls the police and says, you got to get there quick. The police do go to the park, but they're too late. And right. so but so then, because he was so accurate on predicting the murder, they go to Amy's house and bring him in. But they know Jack the Ripper's coming for her next because they saw her death in the paper. So right. 
they agree to basically leave and they're going to meet at a hotel. He goes to buy a gun, which is basically, and he, even though he said he would never do that, basically just because they needed a way to separate them. And it, it is still semi-plausible that he kind of saw it as a dire situation. But on his way back, they arrest him and Amy can't hear him shouting because she's crashed out on Valium when there's a murderer on the way. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's like, because they, uh, I think they stop him, right? And they find the gun. Yes, yes. And so right they, outside her so house. The cops, are, the cops are hooking him up, and he's screaming at her window, and it just kind of like does the pan over, and she's just like out. <laughs> <laughs> she's like so stressed out. Don't leave me. Okay, you promise you'll be back. If you're not back, I'm going to go to this hotel. Um, you need someone to relax. She's like, don't worry, I got some Valium. <laughs> and so she's just yeah, exactly. conked out. And she basically wakes up just as Jack the Ripper's showing up, of course. Because <laughs> she was... Yeah, anyway. So she hides in the closet. Now, they actually the movie does a really good job here. So they have him in for questioning. And he's now confessing. He's telling them he's H.G. Wells that he came here in a time machine. Of course, they don't think... They don't believe him at all. They think he's a special suspect in the murders now. And, he, and actually, in a pretty kind of badass scene he says fine i'll sign anything you want i'll confess to all the murders you put something in front of me i'll sign it just send a car over there now to check on her i'm like okay kind of cool and they go there and they're too late we even see a dismembered arm on the ground and the police are like oh yeah dude uh sorry you can go which does seem kind of odd in and of itself but they let him go he thinks amy's dead and it's like is the movie over like what is happening (laughs) Jack the Ripper wins. But again, it's 10 seconds later. Jack the Ripper shows up. Is that the Presidio, that place in San Francisco with that cool little Roman looking thing? I, I forget the exact name of, of that. Yeah, I don't know the name of it. I know that they, because uh, they talk about it earlier in the movie when they're walking by it. That's one of the places that she takes them on their date. But anyway, so they're at, I think they're in the Presidio area particularly at this little Roman thing that I know has its own name. And I think it used to be a science museum or is a science museum now. Anyway, so Jack the Ripper shows up. Amy says, oh, yeah, by the way, actually, we don't know Jack the Ripper's there with her. First, she says, he killed my roommate. She showed, or sorry, not my roommate. She killed my friend from work. She showed right, up yeah. to hang out and meet you. And oops, we forgot to tell her. They kind of don't dwell on that near enough, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I mentioned we saw a severed arm on the ground yeah. in this PG movie from 1979. <laughs> oh, I actually really love this movie. Anyway, so he's like, basically, give me the key or I'll kill her. Okay, gives her the key. You're an idiot. I'm taking her with me. <laughs> so now Jack the Ripper's going to go back to the museum. And what's his destination? Where's he going to go? Does he say? I still don't uh... understand why he's not just staying in San Fr- staying in 1979 if that's where he likes. Why is he going back to the yeah, time machine? I don't. Rem- I honestly don't remember it. I yeah. I, I have no idea. Which honestly is part of the charm of this movie. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, H.G. Wells takes Amy's car. Amy's driving Jack the Ripper because he can't drive. But H.G. Wells watched very closely when Amy drove once, so he's got it down. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I thought that was funny. And he goes. R is for reverse, a D is for drive. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, while his life. So, that's actually, so the screenplay and the director actually wrote it too. They actually do a really good job, as ridiculous as everything is, everything is set up and not really in a heavy-handed way too much. Like, there's, you know, right. the whole, you're familiar with the whole Chekhov's gun idea? Yeah. 
So, yes. yes, they're setting those up all throughout and then paying them all off without it ever seeming too forced. Yeah, it was kind of silly that he was paying super close attention to her driving, but it made sense for the character being out of place and right. all that. Because in the, in the moment, you're just chalking it up to, oh, he's just super fascinated by this, you know, invention of the automobile that he's never seen before. But then later on, he gets in the car and like, oh, they, you know, they were setting that up. So that he can now drive to save Amy's life. Right. And it's not like he's Steve McQueen or anything all of a sudden. Although that would have been even cooler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, so that he gets to the museum and there's the showdown. And again, of course, another thing I don't quite get. He gets in the time machine with Amy and... Or no, wait. Oh, then he decides to let Amy go at the last second, I guess. I don't know why or exactly what happened there anyway then a is it amy that pulls the key out or the doctor pulls the key out from the side the second key yeah so the second key is so you have to have both keys in because apparently one key makes the time machine return like without you and then the one that he pulls out at the end basically makes the time machine stay and he just gets sent just into infinity which is the exact phrase he says. Okay, so he just yeah. kind of goes out into the ether and is just lost in the nothingness because he doesn't have the machine yeah. with him. Right. Basically, okay. like the sequence, the sequence that they show at the beginning when he's just kind of like flying through and all these colors are going by. Yeah. It's basically that for forever because he's not in the time machine anymore. Okay. So why have that removable? <laughs> <laughs> because he has to have it be able to remove to stop Jack the Ripper eventually. Right, and they set it up. They set it up that's removable. Like in the very first scene, he's showing his friends in 1893 the time machine. He's like, yep. pull, pulls it out, wouldn't want to travel without this, wink, wink, and puts it back in. Like, right, they yeah. set it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was so much fun. Okay, so Jack the Ripper's dead, and oh, here's okay, here's here's then the cool part. So, so he's like, I gotta go back. It's my time. Amy's not. She's she doesn't want to go back to the 1893 because you know very much she's kind of you know very much a modern well 1939 feminist. You know she has a career. She doesn't like the idea of going back to the 1890s, but they are very much in love at this point, and she kind of jokes that. All right, well, I'm changing my name to Susan B. Anthony. Just and just kind of a cool way to say, like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna basically be starting the women's lib movement in 1893. So just be warned. And so they go back to 1893, and it gives the little title card. And well, first I was like, thought it was almost like a joke, as if it had all happened. But no, it actually gave facts there at the end. So H. G. Wells's second wife actually was named Amy Robbins, and yes. the movie basically says that he found her in. 1979 i'm like all right that's pretty cool but yeah that little little paragraph at the end that was all true it's just that he obviously did find her in 1979 so cool movie i actually highly recommend it it's just a lot of fun and as someone who really likes bill and ted's excellent adventure and has obviously talked about it throughout this podcast and i kind of like doing these time travel movies for the podcast too it's just kind of fun yeah I, i just really recommend it general thoughts before we get on to the historical side of yeah, this. I, I really liked it a lot too. And I thought that it did, it had a creative way of dealing with time travel. So kind of one that I, I don't think I've seen in any movies yeah, before. Yeah, where it like its own shade. The, the person, the person and the time machine can travel differently through time. You know, like he, you, like he can send a person through time without sending the machine or like the machine goes and then comes back, you know, based on which key is uh, inserted or removed. Um, I just thought that was an interesting mechanism. So I'm trying to think. Doesn't that seem like a dangerous failsafe if 
Because so Ripper goes to 1979, but then the moment he no- leaves the machine, and he knew this would happen, he was just trying to escape. The moment he leaves the machine, right. the machine travels back to where it started, be- to right. London in 19- 1893, because he didn't have the red key that H.G. Wells has. Right. So I'm trying to think. It's it's that kind of the same thing, though. Like, when would that ever come up? So, like, you have to leave the key in the machine. So if H.G. Wells takes it, he has the key on him. What keeps the key? What keeps the time machine there? <laughs> the key's on his person. Yeah, I, the machine. I guess I probably shouldn't be breaking this down too much. Should I? Should I? Oh wait, you're saying when Jack the Ripper goes? Well, no. Okay, so Jack the Ripper goes. Is it almost like the the time machine returns to the time that the key is in, and it's not like the key? Yeah. Okay. I think that's I think that's how. Or I guess H.G. Wells traveled with the key in the ignition, literally, didn't he? Yeah. So maybe that's what locked he, it in. The fact that it moved right. to the location. Oh, so he basically reset the time machine's home location by having the key when he traveled. That's probably exactly, a way to look at it. The, okay. Right, because then the first thing he does is he takes it out because he's like, oh, yeah, you know, can't have anybody leaving with this. But again, that goes back to my idea that I don't understand why it wasn't an empty space in the museum. <sighs> I'm still kind of confused. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to the actual history. <laughs> So this is the Halloween episode. We're definitely going to get to Jack the Ripper, but we're going to we're, let's do him last. So okay, first a couple a couple notes on the movie in general. This is probably not an actor you would have recognized, but like when the 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 kid and the mom see him appear and like get out of the time machine, the little kid who says like you know basically, oh hey mom, look at that man. I was like, it's um, Corey Feldman. It's Corey Feldman. Did you recognize oh my him too? God, I know. No, well, so I didn't recognize him. I was like. He kind of looks familiar. Like, I wonder if he's somebody famous. And then I looked it up on IMDb. I was like, oh, my God, that's Corey Feldman. Right. At eight that years had, old. That like, yeah. his first role, right? I mean, because he's like six years old. I knew he was a child actor. He was eight, he was eight years old. It was actually his fifth credit on IMDb. So this oh, guy, wow. Okay. So, and it, of course, that's probably part of why he's had kind of a messed up life. Is apparently his parents got him into acting this early. And, of course, he also got, like, molested and stuff when he was younger, too. But that was all after this. But yes, it was interesting recognizing an eight-year-old Corey Feldman. Anyway, so <laughs> the actually I hadn't really looked yet on the the writer director Nicholas Meyer. Okay, oh well, there you go. He he directed Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan and Star okay. Trek Four. Okay, so this is a guy who Star Trek Six. Okay, that's funny that he's uh so he directed Time After Time, which is about Jack the Ripper time traveling to San Francisco. And then he directs Star Trek Four, which is the crew of the Enterprise time traveling to San Francisco. That's right. That's the one where they. Oh wait, it's San Francisco too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, then the other crazy connection is Mary Steenburgen is in another time travel movie where when the guy tells her the truth, she doesn't believe him, and they fall in love, and they end up being together anyway. She's Back to the Future two or three. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was awesome too. So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and this would have been just eight years after Malcolm McDowell did A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Of course, so I think he's, he's younger than he looks in the movie. And I was looking up ages because my first thought when, when, uh, when Amy slash Mary Steenburgen had a crush on him was that the age difference seemed crazy. But Mary Steenburgen was 26 in 1979, and H.G. Wells was 27 in 1893. Oh, okay. So that matches up. I actually hadn't checked on uh, the age of Malcolm McDowell in 1979. 36. So he was 10 years older than her. So he was 36 playing a 27-year-old. That's fine. That's fine. I can live with all that. 
Problem is, too, they didn't have as many. Now they got awards for everything. Like, this, again, this isn't an Oscar movie, but this is the kind of movie that would have won some local stuff if there was more local stuff back in the day. You know what I mean? Right. Um, actually, I, I, I say that it, uh, on IMDb here. It has. it. So it won three awards at the American, sorry, at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Awards. Yeah, it won three and was nominated for five more. So, and Edgar Allan Poe, like, so it got some nominees, National Board Review nominee, like, it's, it's a legit solid movie, just not enough to cross the threshold into Oscar Global and Globe stuff, and that, and that's fine, but, uh, and then the, actually, the Rotten Tomatoes, have you checked that one recently either? Uh, no. Yeah, it's an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes on the critic score. <laughs> oh my, well, yeah, and again, man, if I'm a critic, I'm giving this the thumbs up, this was just oh, yeah. a blast, and I can't. Like I said, I don't even think Bill and Ted's is the best comparison because it's not a straight comedy to that. Honestly, maybe something like, did you ever see, it's another time travel one, did you ever see Kate and Leopold? No. Okay, so in that one, it's Hugh Jackman is the guy who designs Tower Bridge in London, and also in like the 1890s, and I forget how he gets transported to the present, and actually, shoot, I forget the girl off the top of my head, but very much, it's kind of, it's just more of just a fish out of water thing. But it definitely yeah. has the same kind of feel, where it's mostly a romantic comedy, but definitely has kind of some serious repercussions to the time traveling and him trying to get back and all these kinds of things. So I would say if you liked Kate and Leopold, Time After Time is definitely right up your alley. So H.G. Wells. So this was before he was 27. His He wasn't a famous author yet. So Time Machine, his novel, came out two years later in 1895 when he was just 29. So... The movie even kind of kind of jokes that this adventure was maybe even then the inspiration for the novel as opposed to the other way around. So I mentioned it being so similar. The movie's basically right, saying, yeah, because yeah, it based it off of his <laughs> his <laughs> real life events. And then most of his big books were written uh, in the 1890s. And again, if you don't know H.G. Wells, that's Time Machine, Island of Dr. Moreau, The Invisible Man, and War of the Worlds. Very iconic author that you've almost everyone, probably just darn near 100% name recognition on something of his, you know, War of the Worlds and nothing else probably, if you haven't heard of H.G. Wells himself. And he was also, I actually hadn't made it that far on his Wikipedia page, he also was a bit of a historian. So I have a two-volume set of basically of the history of the world by H.G. Wells. Uh, I haven't really read it yet, but he, he was, at least to some extent, a historian as well. I also found it interesting. So his buddies were calling him HG to his face. And I'm like, right. That seems odd that, I mean, some people do go by their initials. I get that. But even like JK Rowling is actually Joe in real life, if you know her. And I'm and on his Wikipedia page here, it says they actually called him birdie in the family growing up. And so I would imagine hmm. if he's in his mid twenties, just hanging out with his buddies, odds are they're probably calling him birdie. Right. Short, short for Herbert. And the guy who turns this friend who he plays chess with, who turns out to be Jack the Ripper, I think just straight up calls him Herbert, and he introduces him to him who uh, introduces himself to uh, Amy as Herbert. So I doubt people. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I would doubt people called him HG. Just it just it just just doesn't flow real well, I guess. But yeah. Although supposedly my great grandpa went by WR, which also doesn't flow. <laughs> and he would have been actually a contemporary. So maybe that was like a thing then is to go by yeah. your, your, your initials. Because actually, yeah, they're probably darn near the same age. Anyway, so a couple of, let's see. That, so I really don't have much else about H.G. Wells because he's, he's not really the reason to do this. This is a Halloween episode, everybody. Let's talk about Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, this is definitely more entertaining having a guest on, Logan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to read from the Jack River Wikipedia page, and this is going to get dark real quick because this stuff is messed up. Yes. So, yes, if you aren't familiar, Jack the Ripper is a unidentified serial killer. It's it's a just an unsolved case, right? So yeah. they never found the guy. Actually, there's a whole Wikipedia page on the possible suspects. Yep. It's crazy how deep it is. Like, there's, I mean, just without fully counting there, there's probably 20 names of possible suspects with links to why they thought it could have been this person. And the whole idea that it could have been a doctor or a butcher was thoroughly investigated just because his murders were so gruesome. So they're actually not even sure how many murders were specifically tied to Jack the Ripper. Right. So the the area that the murders were occurring in is uh, Whitechapel, which is the east side of London. Between 1888 and 1891, there's a series of 11 murders that are known as the Whitechapel murders. Five of those murders are called, uh, if, if you know, you're know, you researching Jack the Ripper, they're known as the canonical five. And those are the five that pretty much everybody agrees were definitely Jack the Ripper. But then there's six more that occur on either side of those five murders that are maybe him, maybe not, occurred in the same area around the same time. And some of them have similar you know, modus operandi. Some of them don't, which is why there's a dispute. But you know, almost all the women killed in the Whitechapel murders were prostitutes, so not a great time to be a prostitute on the east end of London between uh, 1888 and 1891. Yes, and they kind of talk about it could have been part of a larger anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic there's just a lot of pe- new people coming to the city, and it could have been prompted by kind of a oh man, resentment towards that, maybe. And so let me see if I can find it here where it talks about the actual murder methods. So yeah, basically their throats were cut prior to abdominal mutilations. And that's a simple enough sentence to say, but just dwell on that for a second. Their throats were slit, and then... Basically, he would remove organs from those. He says at least three of the victims had organs removed. And then there was something. So I'd heard of the movie with Johnny Depp called From Hell. I didn't realize why that movie was called that. Someone it's sent the, the yeah, letter. Yes. Someone yeah. sent a letter to someone in Whitechapel, like an authority figure in Whitechapel. I don't didn't say it's specifically a cop, but they sent a letter basically taunting the people looking for him with half of a kidney right so there was several people sending in it was kind of oh man people are messed up you talk about people are messed up on the internet now well think about the time when there was no way to ever track you down so there was apparently tons of people writing in pretending to be jack the ripper and most of them was just considered hoaxes and people could just i don't mean so people were messed up back then too so but this person they believe is the only letter that probably actually did come from jack the ripper himself taunting the people after him because it actually had a human kidney with the letter. Right. Well, and that those letters, that's actually the reason that we call him or her, which is actually a, uh, one of the theories, a theory. Yeah. That it was a woman, but that's the reason that it, likely a guy though. One of the reasons why we call him Jack the Ripper is because in one of the first letters that got sent, I think, I don't know if it was sent to a German or sent to the police, but, um, it was signed Jack the Ripper. Oh, okay. and that's why we call him Jack the Ripper. Right, right. So, and, oh, yeah, that's right. I saw because they, they say that might have been actually a fake letter from the media to help sell papers and build up the whole mystique, but it worked, right. and we still use the name today 
you know, 120, yeah. 130 years later. Well, and in the Jack the Ripper letter, so not in the From Hell letter, but the first one where he says, you know, where he calls himself Jack the Ripper, he mentions something about how the next victim is going to, like, he's going to cut their ear off. Oh, and, and then that happened? Yeah, so one of the next victims, which I don't know if it was Catherine Eddowes, maybe, had a bunch of facial mutilations, one of which was, like, one of her earlobes was cut off, which they don't know if that was just a coincidence. Oh, gotcha. So it was just close enough that it could have been from the actual guy, but also not close enough to where it could have been just coincidence. Right. I'm going to read the, let me read the From Hell letter here, because it's, it's, just very, and of course they got, they got the picture of it here on Wikipedia, which is just messed up. Like it looks like something out of a serial killer movie. Oh, because it's actually from the actual Jack the Ripper, and I didn't realize that this existed. Right? Isn't this crazy? Yeah. So it says at the top, from hell, Mister Lusk, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you together. Piece I fried and ate it was very nice. And again, the punctuation is kind of erratic like that. I know that sounded weird. Uh, I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if only you wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. And again, this letter was accompanied by a human kidney. Oh, I'm sorry, half a human kidney, which this person claims to have eaten the other half. Yes. This is Jack the Ripper, guys. <laughs> Holy <laughs> cow. And again, we never they never caught him. They had 20-some suspects, interviewed them all. And, pro- and there was multiple they thought might have been the guy. But again, obviously, it probably wasn't multiple. Well, I guess that could have been multiple. But they- there was no arrest for made. They didn't have enough evidence. They couldn't They couldn't do it. Man, just, you know, you think today with DNA evidence, it would have been a little easier. But this was messed up. And there's a reason that we're still talking about Jack the Ripper so many years later. Yeah. Uh, the one other thing I was going to mention, uh, did you catch that the police in San Francisco in 1979 in the film mentioned... First Zodiac and now this, a reference to the Zodiac yes. Killer. Right, which, again, still unsolved. And the movie came out in 1979, and the Zodiac Killer was active in the 60s and 70s. So this was, like, recent memory. Yes, right on the heels of, yes, absolutely. And, man, of course, at the same time, it's like, why they, they could have just gone that step further. They could have made Jack the Ripper the Zodiac Killer. Oh man, wouldn't that have been crazy? Set it, set it <laughs> ten years earlier. Yeah, and, and I mean, it doesn't work with then. You know, H.G. Wells getting rid of him, and then it's probably almost probably not kind to the victims of the Zodiac Killer to have a movie within memory of that, making a joke about it. So by saying the H.G. Wells killed him, probably not yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. So that's probably why they avoided stuff like that. Uh, one other note I hear I had is so this is probably something you didn't necessarily catch. Did you notice the price tag on the TVs that he saw for sale when he was in 1979? No. Okay. So, you know, I saw like the big, you know, like TVs back then were basically furniture, you know, just kind of the big, you know, you basically had the, you know, just, yeah, the TVs back then were furniture. And but he sees like this, oh, I would guess it's probably a 24, 27 inch TV, you know, just, just giant cube of a thing, but you know, but a small TV by today's standards. The price tag on that TV was $440. Wow. So I think that's something that we definitely forget is that TVs in the 1970s were more expensive than they are now before you take inflation into account. Yeah. So taking inflation into account, TVs were probably, what, tenfold the cost that they were then? 
or were are now. Oh yeah, at least yeah. Yeah, just because yeah. I, I twenty seven inch TV now, you get one for probably eighty bucks. And yeah. in nineteen seventy nine, it was going to cost you over four hundred dollars. Right, and it was like weighed one hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> yeah. and took yeah. up half your living yeah. room. Well, hey, I and the reason I was kind of interested in this, so my TV stand that I watched the movie. Well, I watched the movie on my TV. My TV is sitting on the TV stand that is my parents' nineteen seventies <laughs> box TV. That's awesome, and it's a little bigger than one. Of the TV. I swear they said it was a thousand dollars. Yeah. In, in the 70s. Right. And yeah, so we can't throw right. it out. I've used it as a TV stand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, one more thing I wanted to bring up. So, yeah, you had you had mentioned the movie From Hell. It's uh, yes. the 2001 movie, Johnny Depp. So uh, if, if any of the listeners out there are considering, uh, you know, taking a peek, uh, I, I would say you can probably skip it. Uh, it's not a particularly good movie, and it's it's not historically accurate either. But from what I understand, and I've, I've never watched the uh, the series, but there's a 1988 miniseries called Jack the Ripper, where the investigator investigating the uh, Jack the Ripper murders is played by uh, Michael Caine. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the uh, the Giant Depp movie is only a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think I even saw it in the theater, and it was very unmemorable. Yeah, I had seen it a few years ago. It's, yes. Yeah, Kind of garbage. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yes, uh, good to be back. I think it's going to be more fun having Logan and possibly other people, just depending on Logan's schedule. I mean, I'll, I'll have you on every week if you want to do it. But uh, I don't know if you'll be able to keep up with watching all these movies here. But, yes, so welcome back, everybody. Season three, if you want to call it that, of History and Film. We'll be back next week with Battleship Potemkin and continue every other week here going forward until we get through... 75 total on our list. So thanks for listening and catch you later. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>